0: Okay, continuing on, a Bible study, quoting verses, are useless as one does not obey the Lord. You know, all that don't profit anything. If one does not keep and maintain a clear conscience and a present walk with God, they're useless in God's kingdom, and eventually they'll be cut off. The branch will be cast aside. Oh, people don't like hearing that. They love to hear false gospels because they want to be loved unconditionally and live like they want to, and then God lets them into heaven. Well, they get deceived, and they're going to stay deceived till they wake up. Okay. So part of the Christian foundation is repentance from dead works and faith toward God. That's Hebrews six one. And everything has to be built on these foundations. He named about six of them there. But repentance from dead works. So many people claim to be Christians. We're under grace and faith, and works don't matter. Well, he seems to think it did. Repentance means you change, you stop these fleshly dead works, and then you have faith in Christ, and he gives you grace to do these things. They don't have power over you unless you consent to it. See, the law should not. But they claim all these scriptures while they're living in sin, they're going to be surprised at Judgment Day. They're going to be saying, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I don't know you. Okay, it's a danger here. And they love to twist scripture because they want to believe what they want to believe. They don't want the real truth. They're just hoping they'll make it. Like many people What's the minimum, you know, like vitamins? What's the minimum daily requirements that I can do to make it to heaven? How far can I sin and live selfishly as to make it to heaven? And I said, tell him you're not going to heaven. You've already revealed your heart. You're a wicked person. You don't have the spirit of Christ because you have no desire. You just have the fear of judgment. And I said, That's good to have if you're in sin. I said, but the true Christian has to deal with both realms. He can have desires and temptations for the lower nature. But he still has a desire, too, to please the Lord and do right. And if you don't, you need to check out, like Peter said, said, check out your election and see whether you're really in the Lord, okay? So all the later building and reading and doing Christian works, which many of those did, they said, we prophesied your name, we cast out. And he said, I never knew you. See, they claimed to be Christians, and they were doing all kinds of but they were doing it in the flesh. They were doing it by self-effort. The Spirit wasn't in it. They were no more different than the self-righteous Pharisees. I'll do it my way, and God will accept it. Well, you'll find out that he won't. Okay? So all of our Bible knowledge, all of our past spiritual experiences, so they're good. And whatever's happened in the past is useless if people don't continue with the Lord. Mental set. Our belief in Christian doctrine, or Christ himself, Lord, Lord, is of no avail if we don't stay in grace and faith and obedience. And people like to lay aside obedience. You don't have grace and faith if you don't obey. You've already proven he's not the Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? He makes it very plain. I'm not your Lord. See? And he gave all the disciples, and at the end, he said to the disciples, have you understood what I've said? And they said, yeah. He said, well, blessed are you if you do it. See, it wasn't a blessing with just hearing. You had to do it. So he was saying, that's all good. You understood this. You understand. Now do it. That means work it out. That means be spiritual, bear fruit, be obedient. Otherwise, all of this stuff don't mean nothing. See, that's what he's telling them. Dead works is disobeying Christ, walking in the flesh, walking in the lower nature, living our own self-interest lives, not taking up our cross. What does that mean? Daily. It means that when it comes to God's will and our own will conflict, we have to give away to him. We say, I can't do this because he wants me to do that. That's what it means. You die to your own wishes. You're not your own. You belong to him. Whether you like it or not, you're his slave. You're the child of God, but you're a slave too. He expects obedience. So we take up our cross. We die into what we do instead. I mean, when he wants something, and is a conflict, then we have to go with him. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19 and 20, people need to read it often and not just skip through it. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? God gave him to you, okay? Only gives it to real Christians. Therefore, for this reason, honor God, glorifying how you do that by doing his will, and his principles, in your body so he's telling you that you have to do this and that means what he wants because you belong to him and you may live in a democracy but there is no voting with the Lord he's a complete monarch to his own and he expects them to obey him and many of them don't and they want to oh I used to counsel people they wanted to find out God's will and I listened to them for a while I said, did you ever, God ever tell you to do something before? and he to give it. Did you do it? Well, no. I said, well, he ain't going to tell you nothing else. They look at me, they on the phone, it gets real quiet. I said, you go back. If you claim to be a Christian and you say, okay, I missed this, am I to do it again or accept the punishment or are we going for something else? But I said, you find out from God because you're going to waste your time. Why should he give you something else to do when you want to obey him? It's like a child. Uh, What can I do? for an allowance. And you tell me, well, I want to do that. I want to do this. Well, it don't work that way. And so people, you have to obey the Lord. And they just sort of skip over it. Well, we're all by grace forgiven and don't matter now. What well, matters to God? If you've proven you're untrustworthy, then you can't mature and he don't give you things and enlighten you. 'Cause you don't do what he already told you. That's why there's so many deceived, millions and millions of deceived professing Christians. They go to church, they sing, they get, but they're not obeying the Lord when they know they should have. We're not talking about a guessing game. I've had people tell me I knew it was the Lord. I said, "You do it? No. Well, what are you pursuing God for? You need to go back and repent and find out what's what. Does this still apply?" I remember one time the Lord told me to do something to somebody, and I knew it was the Lord. And he spoke to me in a dream and told me to do it. And I am hard and didn't want to do it, and it was all the kinds of reasons. And so finally, I said, I'm going to go do it. And the Spirit said, don't waste your time. I found someone else to do it. <laughs> so I got reproved for that. So he'll do that, okay? And then we look, chapter 10. Verse 1, thought changes somewhat. Paul, he says, my heart's desire, my spirit, my will, and my prayer. So he did pray. He spent a lot of times praying for the body of Christ, but he prayed still for the Jewish people. He says, for their salvation. Who? The Jew who has been cut off as the nation, as a people, as a whole. But he said he still has the elect. Who's the elect? The ones who choose him. The disciples. The first six years or so, all Christians were Christian Jews. So he hadn't cut them all off. He kept a remnant, Okay? But as a whole, the rest of them were out of this. He wasn't dealing with them anymore like that. So he prayed for them still. Paul still was concerned for the Jews and the covenant people and what they had forfeited and what they were cut off from and that God uh, was going to deal with them as a nation and eventually he eventually going to take it away and he comes to the Gentiles and they have to come the same way now and even Paul knew that they had no privileges Jesus broke down the wall in the temple between the Jews and the Jews and they're one now when he looks at a person, he doesn't say, oh, that's a Jew and that's a gent." No, he looks at their heart, and they all have to come the same way. They can't come a special way, because they're not special. The true Jew is the real Christian. It's not the Jewish people physically. They're the ones that Jesus said as a whole. He said, they'll come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, but the children of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. They'll be cast into hell. So the person, a Jew or the Gentile, who does not come through Jesus Christ, that's his destiny. He's not chosen and he's not special. Now when he comes for the church and he takes up during the millennium the Israel nation, he's going to deal with them again a different way. And they'll serve the Lord. But we're talking about now when these people run around and say, well, they're saved because they're God's elect. You're ignorant of Scripture and you blaspheme God because you don't know Scripture. Okay? verse 2, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God but not in accordance with knowledge. Well, he had the same thing. He was a zealot of zealot, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was seeking out whom he caught were heretics, thought were heretics. He was going to bring them back Jerusalem and have them put to death for being false. And he believed he was doing the law and he was persecuting the Lord and his people. So he had zeal. One thing about Paul, he did have zeal. You wonder if that's why the Lord partial chosen. He knew he'd be a zealot for him one way or the other. And so Paul said some Jews, they had a zeal or a pride or a glory in the desire for God. Even the Pharisees and priests still had that glory, thinking they were special, and thought that Jehovah was their only God. He wasn't nobody else's God. Yet it was misplaced and misunderstood. They had not revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And they put him to death. And the God of this world had blinded them for their sins. You gotta remember that. People read scripture and think, oh, he's like a God-some monster. He's looking at everything, and when he hardens, a person's been hardened toward him. Because he says, not as will any, Paris. He has no plan that he likes some he don't like. He has plans according to various ministries and his various covenant, but not individually. He said he wished all were saved and came to knowledge truth. He changed, okay? But they couldn't see because of their sins, and they couldn't understand the law properly. They couldn't discern it, and therefore he said, search the scripture. They speak of me. Well, they could have searched them, and if they had repented, like John said, they would have signed. But they didn't. Second Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 3 and 6. But even if our gospel is veiled, it means hidden, it is veiled, hidden to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded. Who's the God of this age? Satan, the demonic kingdom, the lie, great liar, the deceiver. Yeah, People don't listen to the truth. That's what they're going to listen to. There ain't no spiritual vacuums. When the Lord stops with some people, he not only allows the demons, sometimes as a punishment, he sends them. He would tell them the truth, but they want to believe lies because of their sins and their arrogance. So he sends them that. That's a punishment, is to be deceived. It is to be hidden from spiritual things if you're in sin. He said, who do not believe, for if they did, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. He said he would have come to them. He would have revealed these things. That's why he sent John the Baptist. Jesus may have had to stay around another three years if John the Baptist wasn't there. He'd have done his work too. But he didn't. And that's why he did a great work. He affected a whole generation. And that's why Jesus said, among prophets, there's none greater than him. And yet, he didn't do a miracle. People thought, isn't that astounding? He wasn't sent to do a miracle. He was sent to preach repentance and get yourself ready For the Lord's coming. See, he knew that. No other prophet could say that at that time period. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves servants for your sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light, and the light is the truth, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What does he say? Because he's the image of God. He uses that word. And when John says, in the beginning was the word, he's referring to God. He said the word was with God. The word wasn't. The original says he was face to face with God. He's one in unity. One God with him. So he says, he's chosen the Do it through him. Everything is gonna be done and completed through Christ. Well, the Jews could not see. The leaders, they crucified him. They had a zeal. They talked themselves so well, he's a false prophet see according to what they could see, because they were seeing lies. They didn't study the Christian enough to figure things. And yet it said some priests knew who he was, and they were afraid of the people's opinion. And the Sanhedrin, and so they wouldn't acknowledge him. Well, we know where they went. They were cowards. They were the fearful and unbelieving, and that's talked about in Revelations, are the first to be cast into the lake of fire. Isn't that hard to believe? They believed it. They believed it. And the Pharisees and a priests. Well, if you come down from the cross, we'll believe you. had no intentions You didn't even convince them of anything. They were damned in their sins. And Jesus told most of them, you won't make it. You'll die in your sins. See? But some did repent. Some priests came to the Lord. Later on after Pentecost, some priests and scribes and pharaohs, some of them came to the Lord, but it was a remnant. Okay, we got to remember that. It was a small number. Okay. So we see he prayed for them. Paul's concerned for them. And they have to come, the Jews as the Gentile does through Christ Jesus, and so they're part of the runner, like Paul and the disciples, and all of them for the first six years were only Jews who came to the Lord. Cornelius is basically the first household of Gentiles that was preached to, and that's why Peter had the keys to the kingdom, not till so he could be pope. Let me tell you something. Peter was afraid of James and always reported to James because James was like the bishop of Jerusalem and he run the administrations and he always reported and explained himself. Now, when they were foremost preaching to heathen, Peter was the chief spokesman, but he wasn't a pope. He explained to James what was going on. And James wasn't of the 12. Isn't that interesting? But later on, Paul calls him an apostle. Isn't that interesting? Uh Uh-huh. But he explained to James why I preached to this Gentile and went and ate in his home. Jews didn't eat with Gentiles like that. They were having a hard time. And Jesus, you go into all the world, well, they were dragging their feet. And finally, he told Peter, you go and preach to him. And when he preached to the household, there was about 12 of them there. They were saved and baptized in the Spirit and glorified God. And Peter sort of sends a letter to James and says, and what can I do? They spoke in tongues and glorified, like we did. So he was sort of explaining. Uh, so he had a little healthy fear of James. James was no nonsense. But he was part of the church elders. And Paul had to report to him later. We'll get on that later. Verse 2, For I testify that they have a zeal. We talked about that, but not according to knowledge. So they did have pride misplaced. Uh, they had revelation, but it was wrong. And then in verse 3, says, For not knowing about God's righteousness, see, they didn't interpret the law and the prophets properly because of their sins, the stubbornness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. That was their fault, okay? They did it for generations. So being blinded for their sins, well, their own form of righteousness, self-righteousness, worldly works, they weren't spiritual. They thought, well, if we keep the law the best we can, that's acceptable. But the law could not forgive them for sin. The law could tell them what to do, but it couldn't give them the power. So they had to eventually see these animals represent something that we can't give. But see, they didn't want to see that. They thought their efforts. And I've talked to many people. They think, well, I'm okay with God. I, I've had sinners and stuff say, well, I'm as good as you are. If you make it, I'll make it. I said, well, I try to live right and serve the Lord. But if you measure yourself by me, you're going to end up in hell because you ain't, you ain't doing anything I'm trying to do. You have to talk to them on their level. And they look around and say, well, I'm just... So, tell me if I'm as good as you are. I said, well, if you measure yourself by me, you're going to be in a lake of fire one day. Okay. So, they held to their self righteousness. They would not repent. They would not acknowledge God's righteousness by faith in Christ's atonement. Remember, the gospel was preached to them different symbols, different ways. They held to the deceptions. They held to the law. The law was just and holy. It just could not deal with the sins. See? Sacrifice had to do that. It pointed them to sin. It was a schoolmaster. And then it pointed them to sacrifice, which was Christ. So that's what the law could do. It could not justify. It could not redeem. It could not cleanse. Uh-huh. And see, they understand it had its purpose. Verse four: For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Those who want to be righteous, to everyone who believes. And as we say, the belief is not mental assent alone. It's falling in line. It's being regenerated. It's having the Spirit enter it. It's not a mental assent. A lot of people. Oh, I believe. I have people tell me. Well, I believe in God. Well, that doesn't make you a Christian. Well, it says, all, uh, see, they, they don't study what the word means. They just, oh, that's simple enough. I believe in God, so I'm okay. Uh, many people tell me that. I don't waste my time with them. See, because they don't really want to see it. They want to believe something, simple lie. Yeah. They don't understand that kind of belief the Lord's talking about is, you fall in line and obey me and follow me if you believe in me. Otherwise, don't mean nothing. Devils believe that, and they're on their way to hell and unredeemable. But they believe Jesus is the Son of God. They know He is. They know He's the. They said, "What are we to do with you? You're the Holy One of Israel." And He told them, "Be quiet." They were proclaiming Him before the disciples were. They knew who He was. Holy One of Israel was Jehovah. Christ is the end of the law of righteousness by Moses' law, or by self-righteousness, by conscience, any you know form of the law you've got. So God dealt with mankind at different levels. He dealt in government. He dealt by conscience. He, he showed in the world the glories of all the nature, and he was revealing himself, order and everything. And, but he said, but the law of righteousness, all those don't mean nothing. It has to be Christ, okay? He is the righteous One if, well, a big if there, if they believe. And if they believe, they repent and confess and turn to the Righteous One. Many people believe. They never repent. They stay in their sins. But they think, well, I believe. That's enough. They're going to find out it isn't. It isn't enough. Okay? 1 Corinthians, we go here quite a bit. Chapter 1, verse 30, 31. People think, well, I got saved, now I have my salvation. You don't have nothing if you don't have Christ. There is no salvation apart from your relationship with Christ. He is our salvation. They think it's a little separate thing they run with. Uh-uh. Oh, I have people tell me, well, he's my Savior, but he's not my Lord. He's not on the throne of my life. I say, because you're destined to hell because of the way you live. I say, He ain't your Savior. He can't be your Savior and not be your Lord. That's a fallacy. That's a lying gospel that people preach. Well, I'm just not obeying him, but he's my son. No, he ain't. If you consciously know that you're not going to obey him, don't call yourself a Christian. Say, I live like I want to. Okay? Verse 30. But of God, him, you are in Christ Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit's everywhere. But he enters the believer in a personal, different way. But we move and live and have our being in him. Everybody does. God fills the whole universe. He's everywhere. But in relationship, he's at different levels with different people. He don't reveal himself certain ways. So he says, of God, you are in Christ Jesus. Who, who, Jesus, became for us wisdom from God righteousness, not of the law, not of self-effort. He tell, Wisdom means I'll explain knowledge to you. Knowledge is to know. Wisdom is to know how. So the wisdom of God explains these things, makes sense. And he's made to us what? He becomes to us, look at that word, righteousness. Never says we have righteousness apart from him. It's it he's made to us righteousness. He's in our spirit. He's in our body. He said we are the temple, and that's why we're with him in unity with him. He's made to us sanctification. A lot of people think that's another experience where you get more holier. No, sanctification is mentioned before salvation. Said so we are saved by sanctification. I said sanctification means you're set aside to be not normal, not common, be special. And then concentration, like they did the priest, he was sanctified, he had to cling himself up, wash, be anointed, and then he's consecrated, given power and ability to serve the Lord. So they go together. So it's a part of salvation is sanctification. When a person's born again, that's the beginning, right before that, when he starts to draw them and convict them, he's sanctifying them. And if they respond, then we live a life of sanctification. We grow in that process. We're being sanctified. And of course, different Christians have other special experiences where they are closer to God and they know, I said, well, but it's not a experience like being saved. It's a level of revelation. And the last word, he said, he's made to us what? Redemption. So he is our salvation. What? Him and us. So if you're not in Christ and you're not born again and you're not being led of the Spirit, then you don't have salvation because you don't have Christ. And he don't give salvation apart from himself. So that's the fallacy of a lot of false teaching. Say this prayer, once saved, always saved. I'm saved at least, and I go live my life. You deserve the hell you're going to. And God's going to tell you that at the end. And if you study scripture and met the truth, you'd see it. But you can't see it because people like that are like the Pharisees. They want to believe the lies so they can live the way they want to live. See, they don't really want to serve God, okay? And they want to be secure, and I don't want to go to hell, but I sure want to live my own life is what they're saying. So, no righteousness, redemption, or sanctification, or wisdom is outside Christ. None of these gifts are separate from him. He is the gift. No one saved, always saved. If one doesn't stay in Christ, he is cut off from Christ. Plain and simple. Okay? You have to follow him. The love of God is to keep him. His commandment. It's not just again sing and tell God how much you love him and some romantic sentimental feeling. Oh, I got a chill up my back, and I love to sing. Well, if you're singing to the Lord and you know you're living in sin, you're a hypocrite and you're going to hell. You get yourself right if you're gonna do that kind of stuff. Same with the Lord's Supper. Don't be taking the Lord's Supper if you know there's things wrong that you need to confess and deal with. Scriptures, you could drink death to yourself, judgment. That happened to some of the Corinthians. So the person that doesn't stay in Christ, doesn't bear fruit, doesn't have spiritual works and obedience, he, if he was in Christ, and I think there are many, will be cut off. So in the last days, they will depart from the faith. He didn't say from a profession of Christianity. He said the faith. They were saved. And they had the truth. And he said they will depart from it and give over to demons, lying spirits. Well, we've seen that happen. Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. People love this scripture. It's wonderful. We know how to use it. 13.5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Well, the prosperity people don't like that scripture. It says covetousness, greed, materialism, tied to this world. They think their whole life is to be king's kid and prosper and live like a a wonderful king here. They're liars. They're idolatrous. Paul said covetousness is idolatry. And he said, and you know no idolatrous is going to enter heaven. Well, that blows their theory, don't it? He said, and be content with such things as you have. Well, how come some of these great ministers have uh, six airplanes and five homes and eight cars? They don't seem to be very content, do they? They still want things. See, they're tied to this world. They prove they're not spiritual-minded. And people love it in the flesh. They want to live that way, too. Well, go ahead and live that way till the end. And he quotes an Old Testament scripture, For I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's saying, if you lose everything else, I won't leave you. I'll see you. Paul said, I learned how to have a lot and I learned how to have nothing. And he says, and the Lord stood with me. Okay. But you never hear him read the other ones. Old Testament and new. They still apply. He said, I will never leave nor forsake you. Who? The one who stays with me, not the one who leaves him. Titus said, they deny the Lord the ones that don't do it verbally, he said, by their works. Their flesh and works prove they don't have the Lord. See? They don't care if they say, Lord, Lord. It mean nothing to him. Okay? So many claim that while they deny the Lord in obedience and spiritual work, they still have him. But remember, Jesus said, if you deny me. And he didn't mean just physically, verbally. You know, it's your lifestyle and everything. He didn't talk about mental assent. He didn't care for that. He said, I will deny you before my Father and the angels. He was talking to his disciples, too. He said, that's what happens. And I was reading Deuteronomy, and he told them, if you don't obey me and you forsake me, I will forsake you. He told them. He said, I'll forsake you. So he's saying, he will not forsake the one who loves and stays with him, and walks in and obeys him. He still never forsake him. But if you forsake him, he will. Again, we say, when God hardens himself, the people started hardening themselves first. That was God's response. Proverbs says, the forward, the stubborn, the willful person, God will make himself stubborn toward and willful. So he'll, if they don't repent and get right, he will respond. He'll say, well, I'll show them. Remember we said God's only recorded laughing four or five times in scripture, and the majority of the time he's mocking the wicked person. He said, I'll mock you in the day of calamity, and when terror comes, when they drop dead, the terror comes upon them. God has no sympathy for them. He warned them enough. All grace ceases when a person enters hell, okay? So we should fear the Lord, fear sinning against him, okay? So he said he would not forsake that person, okay? Well, that's good news to know. Look at James. I haven't been there in a while, but people should read it every day, especially the Greasy Grace people and the Once Saved Always people, okay? Chapter 5 and James, the 19 and 20. Brethren, who's he talking to? He's talking to fellow Christians. Brethren, he makes it plain who he's talking to. If any among you, among you brethren, you Christian brethren, he said, okay, wanders from the truth, so you forsake the Lord, either by your actions or your lifestyle, you wander away from him. You don't follow him anymore. And someone turns him back. And one of you Christians go and counsels him and says, you've got to get right with God. You better come back with God. And he's convinced, as you're right. And so he prays and leads him back and he gets right with the Lord. He repents and confesses his sins to the Lord. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death, spiritual death. That's hell, fire, lake of fire. And cover a multitude of sins. Have you caught it, brethren? And then he says, you've turned a sinner. He's no longer your brother. He's become a sinner because he turned away. But you went and convinced him to come back and get right, and he did. He said, then you saved him from eternal death and all the sins he's committed because he's repenting and confessing God will forgive it. So they need to read that daily. and They wouldn't believe some of the things they've been lies they've been told okay so these fools who pit paul against james saying paul is better and he overrides james uh, that's a lie they're fools they don't know how to rightly handle the word of god fools should not teach at all they should be taught properly it was paul who tells us that james the half-brother who was not of the 12 it was him that said and implied that james was an apostle he recognized him as a leader of one of the Jerusalem church okay yet paul had to submit to him the church leaders and apostles in Jerusalem because he was preaching a gospel to the gentiles which was new and they had to validate it because they were the foundation he was not the foundation he was not a replacement for judas ignorant people Greasy grace people talk that way. See, they pervert, like Peter said, they twist Paul's writing to their own damnation. They were doing it back then. And they would start teaching greasy grace and false faith, and that supersedes everything. Well, if you read Paul properly, he talks about repentance. He talks about what a real Christian, and he said, if you don't work righteous, he didn't say believe righteousness, if you don't live right and work, he said, then you don't have grace. He makes it very, he speaks right along the line with James. They just express it a different way. And the Lord, by revelation, told Paul, you go to the church and submit to them. Oh, you know as much as they do, and you might know a little more because I'm giving you revelation, but they are the foundation. And if they don't confirm you and agree, the Christian church is not going to believe you. I said, because they are the foundation. That's why he went. He built on the foundation, and they validated him, and they recognized him, and even Peter later on, like he said, he said, they twist Paul's teachings, he said, to their own damnation. He said, like they do all scripture. Peter is calling Paul's writing scripture. Isn't that interesting? And you read Peter, and he speaks along a different line. Same as James. And they don't have to keep repeating the same thing. He'll tell you, like John. John will tell you eight ways you could tell you're a Christian if you really want to know. But he never uses faith or grace. He explains faith and grace. And James is the same way. You're a Christian, and you show me by your works and obedience, and I'll believe you. He was telling you, mental belief means nothing if you don't do the right thing. So he did submit, and he didn't run in vain. And the church accepted him as an apostle. There were at least 22, 23 called apostles, but only 12 of them were of the foundation. And they were building the early first generation. They were still prophets, and Jude was a prophet, half-brother of Jesus. Barnabas was a prophet and an apostle. But they were in agreement. And they didn't teach different gospels, okay? So they laid the foundation. And as we've said before, Paul lived at least six, eight years or so before he was saved after Pentecost, okay? So he couldn't have been of the foundation. And when Jesus and Peter said that we have to replace Judas, he said, there has to be one that been with him for the three and a half years. Well, the one they two they picked did, and then they. Let the lot choose. And they think God will choose who he wants. And they did. And he was numbered with them. Okay? And then the Spirit came down. See, after the foundation was reestablished, now if they were wrong, God would set them straight when the Holy Spirit came. He didn't. He wanted them to do this. Okay? So this is what we see. And this is the reason John was kept around for 90 years. No writings, no popery, no Joseph Smith, no new revelations. John was the last church father, and anybody writes after him, if it can be validated by scripture, they're false. Let's quit here. Father, in Jesus' name, give us wisdom, spiritual understanding, help us to rightly divide your truth, and keep hiding the truth from deceivers and those who don't want it. Hide it from them. As Jesus said, he thanked you that you did this. If they're not going to walk righteously or want you, they don't deserve the truth. Help us to do it and to live it right. In Jesus' name, amen.